guys. We turned out okay. The Modern Parent's Guide to Old School Parenting. I want to hang upside down from the swing set. Welcome to We Turned Out Okay with host Karen Locke Cole. I want to climb to the top of that tree. And now, here's your host, Karen Locke Cole. Before I'd ever even thought about starting a podcast, today's guest was someone that I really wanted to talk to. Her 2013 book, The Lost Art of Feeding Kids, helped me define what it was I was searching for in terms of feeding my own kids. By sharing her unique story of moving from Toronto, Canada to Rome, Italy with her husband, and her experience of being pregnant and having their first child, Nico, there, my guest taught me that America hasn't cornered the market on the best ways to feed a young child. She showed me the kind of scary inroads that food conglomerations are making, even in places like Italy, where the food culture is so rich and beloved. And she helped me understand how I can take back the food in our home. I'm so excited to speak to her today. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jeannie Marshall. Welcome, Jeannie. Hey, thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah. I, I wanted to start off by sharing something, which is that I lived in Florence, Italy for six months in college. Oh, did you really? And, oh, God, it was such, it was so wonderful. <laughs> I mean, a lot of it was, was hard. I, you know, I was like alone in a city where I didn't know the language or anything like that. But I, uh, and I, I should say too, I followed a boy to Italy. Um, <laughs> That's I, the best way, yes. <laughs> I had been dating a guy. Um, we were camp counselors together, actually. And I was like, I'm, I'm he's going to be in Naples. I'm going to go to Florence because that was my only option. And Florence, of course, is like four hours by train away from Naples, but that's okay. It was that's still, okay. it was good. It's it was distance. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's and, such a beautiful city too. It's oh, really just gosh. breaks my heart. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a fact. I have really, really good memories from there. And, and a lot of my really good memories have to do with the food. I mean, yeah, food yeah, is the culture. It, it's so, it take it's so much of what people, uh, come together around and focus on and what uh, yes. uh, I one of the things I loved best about your book was the, the, the descriptions of going into the market with with little Nico so actually how old is Nico now well he'll be 11 on Sunday this week so oh, yes 11 well, 11 okay <laughs> oh my gosh so that that makes him really close or you know fairly close in age to my youngest who's 11 as well yes, um, yes. I didn't realize that I've sort of always I mean he, you write about him when he's like three four five so I I've know. Always... he stayed a child a <laughs> tiny little boy yeah yeah exactly <laughs> uh, and there's so much in your book that I want to ask you about but before we get into that I think that listeners would love to get a sense of what life in Italy is like especially with kids and I'm wondering can you share what family life is like there for you Yes, well, it's probably not that different from you know life in Canada and and in the United States to a certain extent. Um, for a long time, my son went to an Italian school. He's just changed this year to a, a very British school because he needed to work a little bit more at his English. Which oh wow! Sense, but um, no, we just you know get up in the morning, get off to school, and where he would have a wonderful lunch, <laughs> which was just great—a cooked lunch where the kids would sit together. And eat it with their their teacher. Mm-hmm. Would come home about three three thirty in those days, and do his homework, do some after school activities. the The odd thing though is that people tend to eat dinner late here, and so things seem to be a little different. In that you go do your activities and finish up. Everything's usually finished up about seven seven thirty. Then you come home and make dinner and 
and eat and fall into bed at about nine o'clock. Wow. <laughs> so, so I know a lot of people tend to come home, have dinner, and then do their activities after that. Yeah, so, yeah, where we so are. It's a big difference here, yeah. for sure. And you are Canadian. You're from Toronto, right? Yes, yeah. yes. So, yes. My, uh, I'm, I'm Canadian by birth. Uh, we moved down here when I was three from Montreal, but my, I have a brother who um, has not only moved to Toronto, but basically rejected American. He was dual. He was born dual. Because oh. he was born in this country, but my mom was Canadian at the time. And so he was a dual citizen until last summer when he said, you know what? I'm never moving back to the States. I'm going to. that funny? You know, yeah. I guess it's, it's, there's some tax type things. I mean, he was like, he was yes. like, I'm never going there again. And I'm never living there again. And, and I'm still paying like, you know, some fraction of my income in taxes. And I, I think I'm just going to say goodbye to that. So. Yes. It's a funny thing because, you know, with that border and two big countries and there is a lot of movement, people come back and forth. Have mm-hmm. dual citizenship, yeah. Very, you know, similar but different. I yeah, guess. yeah. And I just every time you speak, I love it because he he sounds like that now. Like a lot of my Canadian <laughs> relatives have that. Quite a few live in Toronto. Actually, I've got a lot of aunts and uncles and people like that in Toronto. And there's a yes, yes, there's yes. a definite. It's it's just so nice to hear. It's like making me think of home a little bit. You know. <laughs> Um, and I guess the, the uh, another thing, there's so many things in this book that I, uh, I just love, and I know we're not going to have time for it all, but you talk about, at the very beginning of the book, you talk about how you used to hate, you always thought to yourself, oh, I hate soup. I'm not a fan of soup. And then you ate some soup in Italy that reminded you of your mom's soup. And I just, could you share that a little bit? I loved that story. Well, in fact, it's funny because that's what I'm making for dinner tonight. Oh, is that wonderful. Soup. <laughs> there are always these little variations of it. Yeah. But um, yes, we were in Tuscany, in fact, and we'd gone out for dinner and it was freezing. It was December, really cold. And one of the things on the menu was this delicious soup. And it was so good. It was beans and I think it was farro, mm-hmm. which is a grain that's similar to barley. Mm-hmm. And had some vegetables in it, but there was, it didn't have meat in it. I don't think that one did. Some of them will sometimes have a little pancetta or a bit of, uh, you know, use a meat bone. Mm-hmm. But often they'll put a, uh, a rind of the Parmesan, you know, from the Parmesan cheese, they put the rind into the, the soup yeah. to flavor it a bit. And it just makes it so savory and so good. And you realize you don't really need meat in something like that. Mm-hmm. But it did remind me that my mother used to make really nice soup a lot when I was a child. And I did like that. Mm-hmm. Then later we ate a lot of canned soup. And I didn't like that. Yeah. And I, I just forgot about the real soup that nobody seemed to have time to make or had forgotten how to make. Sometimes when we stop doing these things, we, we forget that it's really not that hard, you know, once you're in the habit of yeah, doing it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, it was like the Proust with his Madeleine, you know, I would just went back to my own childhood and thought, you know, there are certain things that that are similar in, because this is an old culture and it's retained a lot of its traditions. Mm-hmm. And some of those things we certainly in North America have lost. And people are trying to regain them again. But soup, I think, is one of those things. Yeah. I Oh, I agree. I agree. Soup and um, in our home, muffins, oddly enough. <laughs> yes, yes. It's funny. No one eats muffins. Are they The muffins you find in, in Italy are often cupcakes, really. They're just yeah. cake. Yeah. So the idea of a healthy muffin is a, is a, a new concept. Yeah. Here, but actually, I make them. I make them quite a bit. Oh, I, yeah, I bet with a, with a Canadian tradition, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. When, yes. when, uh, when, my, when my oldest was about three, um, he's now 15. When he was three, he, I took him to the doctor 
And he, you know, was off the charts for weight. And I remember his his pediatrician looking at me and saying, okay, so what does this kid eat? And what is his exercise, you know, level and whatever. And, and I basically was completely mortified because I had forgotten everything that I'd learned about I'm a, I, I have a master's degree in early childhood education <laughs> and I'd pretty much just put that all aside when I had him. And like, I don't know, we got into these habits that were just terrible, terrible habits. And for me too, I mean, I was, I was, it was this, if he was off the charts for weight, you know, so was I. And, um, and I remember starting with, she was like, okay, my, my son's pediatrician was like, all right, you got to start with, you know, start small, make some small changes, try and shut off the TV and get, you know, get him outside and all these kinds of things. And it led to this place where I thought, all right, his, his most hated, like the, the, the part of his day that we could start off better, but that he doesn't like anything else is breakfast. You know, he, he likes his, I even forget. I mean, it was just some horrible sugary cereal and whatever. And, uh, I said, all right, I can take that and make it something better. And so I started making these muffins that were like maple oat muffins. They were sort of a takeoff on that. And the thing that is so great is I made them for years. I mean, years. He was probably 10 by the time I had gotten my tendon disorder and, and uh, you know, stopped, been a- had not been really been able to do much cooking. And so uh, anybody new to the show, I've had a tendon disorder now for the, probably the last four and a half years. And um, it, we really only just recently figured out what it is. I mean, it started with a knee problem that had me so I couldn't walk more than a few steps for a long time. And uh, it affected my thumbs and my hands and my arms. And it still does basically. And, uh, but I've been getting better and better. And last this past summer, I decided to make these muffins. And the funniest thing was they're baking and the kids are walking through the kitchen. And they're like, what is that smell? Like, I remember this smell. Oh my gosh. It's so, it smells so good. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a, it, it's a trigger. Those things are, are, are real memory triggers. Yeah. It's, and then, and then so- eating them, they were just like, wow, this is the best food ever. We used to have it so frequently that we started calling, I don't know if you're into um, the Lord of the Rings at all, but we used to call it Lembus bread for the Culps, which is oh, Lembus yes, bread is what yes. the elves, <laughs> yeah. Pack it on your journey. Exactly. Yeah. We, I can remember, you know, going out uh, into the world, like we'd go to the beach or something and we'd have these, but we sort of got out of that habit when I got, when I got sick, really. And so it's such a pleasure to be able to give them things like that again, you know. Well, I, I think also we sometimes we get hung up on, uh, you know, is it is the French way of feeding kids better, the Italian way or what? But I think ultimately it's just both all of these cultures show us that if you can make most of your food or buy, you know, very fresh food, mm-hmm. it's food that are that is just made from real ingredients rather than industrially processed things that have emulsifiers and preservatives and all sorts of things that seem to wreak havoc on our bodies. Oh yeah. It makes all the difference. I think that and the other thing that cultures can teach us is habits as well. So there's the the good food. So muffins, they don't eat muffins in Italy, but it doesn't matter. You know, you could include muffins in in your American diet because we do eat muffins. Yeah. Yeah. And And they don't think here is habit, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That um, people don't snack here. And children have something called the merenda, the afternoon snack, but they don't eat all the time. There's a sort of time when you have that. And I think that helps a lot because it trains your stomach not to be hungry all the time. Yeah. It trains you to think, oh, you know, at one o'clock I'll eat my lunch and then I'll have my merenda at 4.30 and then here, you know, they'll have their dinner at 8 o'clock, say 8.30. Wow, that is... And it all works out. You know, it's all, 
good, you're not grazing all day long or trying to get something on the go. And also, it's a bit frowned upon to eat on the go. And I think that's a good habit, too. Yeah. You know, rather than to you know grab something to eat on the, the tram on your way to work, it's really better to get up 10 minutes earlier and sit down and eat your muffin at the table. At home, <laughs> yeah. And, and the other, I noticed, too, immediately I noticed that he was fuller for longer. So he'd have a muffin or two in the morning, and he wouldn't be asking for a snack, mm-hmm. you know, at 9 or 10 or whatever. He, he would just... And then it would be lunch and we'd kind of just continue on with our day like that. It's really true. Like how these, I don't know how that leaked in. (laughs) Yes. How did we get to a point where we have, where everybody's eating on their commutes? You know, you spend more time eating in your, not we actually don't. We've worked really hard to get away from that. But yes, but it's hard when you live in a culture where other people do because tend to imitate each other without even being conscious of it. Yeah. Yeah. So do what everybody else does. You know, I think I wrote about this in the book when I went to New York to do some research. And within about 24 hours, I was eating on the subway. I had coffee, you know, yeah. on the go. All the things that I don't do, would never do in Rome. But, you know, everyone else was doing them. And so I did them too. Yeah. And do you... I'm very easily led, so... Do you... You're very easily led. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you must be also a very thoughtful person to be able to say, you know what, I... I this is not something that I want, you know, well, from, from my child or my family. I think it happened in a slightly different way for me in that I realized at a certain point that we had the great fortune to be living in Italy. It was kind of an adventure for us. And we had this child and I was going through, you know, what to feed him. And I thought, you know, why don't I just observe, be a bit more observant and instead of constantly saying, why do they do do it this way? Why do the Italians feed their children, whatever it is, strange things. Because one of the things is pizza for breakfast quite often. Oh, wow. But it's not bad because it's really actually nicely made with fresh yeast that, that rises for 48 hours and, you know, a bit of cheese. And the toppings are not huge, you know, or a yeah. little bit of prosciutto or something like that. It's actually a really great breakfast. It's not like smothered in sausage and bacon and ham. <laughs> really, and, or, or zucchini. Sometimes people get zucchini pizza for breakfast. It's wow. really good. Yeah, I can and so see that. that. Instead of saying, what are they doing, these crazy people? Why don't I just try and do what they do, you know, follow them a bit? And once I changed my attitude that way, I really found that there was huge wisdom here and that I could see a whole new way of eating it. It just opened everything. It was like all the windows opened up and mm-hmm. changed. Mm-hmm. And it was very exciting after that. And then I just let my son be led by his Italian friends because I couldn't believe the things that these children ate you know, anchovies and sardines and things, octopus and things that you can't imagine getting kids to eat. And it's only because everybody around them, around them eats it. Yeah, yeah. And see, I see my own son now that he's not that open to foreign cultures because he's very used to eating within the Italian culture. Mm-hmm. You even well, talk about, you talk about going to Toronto when he was a like, a, just starting with solid food and how he was like, I don't like this stuff. <laughs> yes. And he still has a problem sometimes when we go. Yeah. He finds things as I do now that I'm not used to it. There's uh, too much garlic and everything. We're always saying that there's too much garlic. Wow. And, and, uh, or too many different flavors because Italian food tends to be very simple. Just three or four ingredients or the food that we get in Rome anyway mm-hmm. is um, quite simple. And so you taste things and quite often we find there's too many mixtures of flavors. So it's funny. Your tastes just change and you get used to something and then you become a little fuss budget about eating the other things. But yeah. I figure, well, this is all very healthy, and we're here most of the time, so so that's fine. Yeah, yeah, you're you're really, especially Nico, but but you and your husband as well. It sounds like are really uh, 
not ca- caught up is the wrong word. You're you you've kind of absorbed all the cultural g- greatness around you. <laughs> yeah, well, it's you know it's good. You could also absorb the bad things too if we wanted to, but <laughs> yeah, but we've been able to discern one from the other. I think yeah. for the most part. Yeah, and you know here I I guess what I like too is we never really talk about healthy food. It's just really good food. It's all really good. Yeah, that's oh we gosh. We don't really think about it, and it's, sometimes when we you know if we start breaking it down and talking about is this healthy or that healthy, well. Maybe some things on their own are not healthy, but the way they're eaten, they're fine. They're, you know, yeah. that having, um, you know, nobody wants to eat red meat now. And everyone's worried about red meat. But mm-hmm. I like in Italy that, you know, the, the idea of having your first course, maybe your grains or pasta with vegetables, and then you have a little piece of meat. It's not a great big chunk of meat. Mm-hmm. You don't have it every day, or you might have fish sometimes, or another day you might have cheese instead, or something like that. So it's worked into your diet in a way where it's not so dominant. You're not eating a lot of one thing. Yeah. Yeah. Variety of things. And you talk about um, Nico's school where they love the chef, the kids love the chef and the chef brings out their food like in, in family style bowls and the teachers eat with the kids and everybody's you're getting all these sort of great models but not only that uh i mean there's so much about everybody's just going to have to go out and get this book because <laughs> i you know i could just read from it and read from it but there's a part where uh you talk about how the kids are served bread but they're served you know a whole, like freshly made bread but it's after the rest of the meal so they don't fill up on the bread yes because they all love the bread Oh, and God, so they yeah. have it as a little treat in a way at the end. Yeah. And they're already pretty full, so they'll just eat a little piece of it. Yeah. yeah. And the older kids who can, are trusted to be more responsible, they'll have a bread basket on their table. And it's also, I realized, it took me a long time to realize, why do Italians always want to have bread on the table? But it's also how they eat. They use the fork. And instead of how we push food on the fork with a knife, mm-hmm. usually use the bread to push the food on. Yeah. And then when you're finished everything, you eat the bread. You finish with the bread. Yeah. Tasty, actually. Once I caught on to that, I thought, yeah. Hey, yeah. All these traditions, too. I grew up, I mean, my, my, my mother's uh, side of the family is Italian. And in fact, when I was in college, that, that six months that I spent in, in Florence, I got to go and find relatives that like people hadn't really seen for a long, long time. And um, I can remember just going, you know, like I, with my, with the guy that I followed there, his Italian was much better than mine. So he, <laughs> he came with me and we walked into this little town. I'm going to mispronounce it, but it was called Rodi Garganico. And it was right on the, it was right near Vieste on the spur of the boot. And, um, I remember walking into this little village and it happened to be Carnivale. And we walked into this little bar and, and my friend says, does anybody know any, you know, anyone with these two last names. And there's a guy at the bar who's like, hey, my cousin's a Mercurio. Let's, oh. <laughs> let's go find him. He's over there. And, uh, you know, so we, we, we connected with these people who, I mean, who like knew my grandfather so well. And they brought me to where he was born. And they, and they brought me to the, the little Italian, like the little fountain in town, this little spring in town where my grandfather, his job when he was a kid was to sit and balance the water bags on the back of their donkey so that they could <laughs> get water from... I mean, like, and, and it just, it goes so much deeper than that. I, you know, um, the traditions that they had, we often still have. So, you know, you're, you're talking about mopping up bread with, like mopping up your dinner with kind of with bread or whatever. And I'm realizing that we, we do that. And before you were talking about the uh, eating, not necessarily eating pizza for breakfast, but the kind of pizza that, that we would have when I was a kid was so different from, you know, Papaginos or whatever. And it yes, was, it I can see it. I can taste it. Yes. <laughs> 
It's all it's so good. good. I'm thinking now, tomorrow for breakfast, maybe. Yeah, maybe it's time for some pizza. It is awfully good. And then other things came. Spanish do that too. So I was just going to say with the bread, I think the, the Spanish, they're always insisting on having bread on the table. And I think it's much the same. Yeah, music. they'll use it for in, the, in a similar way. And yeah. it's making me think about um, like traditions that, that happen with babies. So when somebody has a new baby, and I guess I wanted to ask you about a very specific one. So when my oldest, he's now 15, when he was teething, so he's four months old, he's teething. Um, I remember my mother suggesting that we put, I don't remember what kind of alcohol, rum or something like that. She's like, oh, just rub some booze on his on his gums yes. and we were like what <laughs> we were so horrified and and I can remember that when I was a kid and when well I don't remember this specifically for me but but the the my cousins and my brothers and stuff like that used biscotti like my, my mother would make biscotti and that was used for teething biscuits and they were so hard and here they use pizza bianca because it's really tough yeah yeah it, it's just the lovely pizza with the olive oil and salt. It has a tiny bit of salt. And people often think, salt, you're giving salt. But, you know, they don't get much salt. Yeah. They don't get sodium from processed food. So a little few grains of salt will just taste good. It's not going to hurt. Them. And I used to worry that, that Max would choke on that. We never gave him teething biscotti as teething biscuits because I was like, oh, what if he hacks off a piece and chokes on it? I mean, I... I'm so frustrated with myself now because I totally bought into these ideas that, you know, uh, Nestle and Carnation and all the people who make products for babies were telling me, which is you can't trust those old fashioned ways. They're not safe. Yes. And uh, we survived. I know. Exactly. I think about it now. And I and I just think, wow, you know, and it just it brought up a question for me, which is do do mothers or, you know, do parents and grandparents kind of. Are they at, ever at odds about what's best for the newest generation? Or is it still very much a continuum? Oh, no, no. There's a lot of um, division in a sense. I don't know. Maybe division's a bit strong. But mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who are who believe in what the food companies say. And so they are buying a lot of food off the shelf for their children instead of doing, you know, raising their kids the way that they were. Yeah. Maybe I don't think the well. I don't actually. I don't know the numbers, so I can't really say because I also. Or there's a mixture, I suppose. There's more of a mixture. So you might see people buying prepared foods for the kids because they think they're more, they're better and more scientific and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. hygienic or whatever. But it's, at the same time, you also see them doing standard things like maybe giving them fruit for snacks or like things like. I remember in cherry season when my son was quite little maybe a year and a half I'm not sure exactly Mm -hmm. around that and I was nervous about giving him cherries whole cherries because I thought he would choke on them exactly Mm -hmm. and he would sit there and take the pits out of them cut them in half and a friend of mine said no no and she showed me with her son and she would hand him a cherry he'd chew it around and then he'd spit out the pit himself and I said but how'd you teach him and he said you just give it to him (laughs) so I did it too and they he did it my son did exactly that just swished it around spit the pit out and that was that yeah isn't that great it is for myself yeah it's making me think of um uh, not food necessarily but we people in i live in massachusetts so uh in the new england area there have been it's sad there have been some like swimming deaths where people kids you know who get into a swimming pool or into a lake or something like that and they don't know how to swim they drown and the response to that has by the Department of Conservation and Recreation, the people who manage the parks here, the response to that has been, I don't, we've never been to a pool, um, but when you go to a, you know, a camping at a place with a, with a lake or whatever, we now get printed 
like we're handed printed slips at the beginning of our stay that say no one is allowed to swim outside of this particular tiny designated area where you can't even be over your head. I mean, five-year-olds are not over their heads in this little swimming area. That, that might be an exaggeration. But it used to be that we could take rafts and go into the middle of the lake and we could, we could really be there in this way. And then so two years ago, we went and stayed with friends in Maine at, at, at a house, a private house. And we brought, I think collectively, there were like five families and we brought, I don't know, 40 little flotation devices and rafts. And, and there was an island that you could swim to. And I mean, everybody's just out in the water of morning until night. And then we went camping at this place a few weeks later. We got home and then we went camping. And we were horrified at this idea that no one could swim outside of this one particular designated area. And I, it got me to thinking like, if you don't teach kids, if there's nobody actually swimming, then no one, what they're learning is to fear the water, you know? And minimizing the risks instead of actually teaching the skills. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you don't, if you don't allow people out there, they'll never, they won't feel the challenge uh, and, and the, uh, you know, the successes of, of swimming in, in water that's over their heads kind of a thing. And, uh, and just, just, I had the same feeling with cherries when, when my kids were little, I was like, Oh, you know, you could choke. Yes. Yes. So the idea of trying to get your kids to eat, uh, in a healthy way. In in fact, when I was thinking about it, when my son was really small, I thought, you know, look at Italian adults. There aren't many fussy Italian adults about food. They eat, you know, Mm -hmm. they eat and they enjoy their food and they don't, they're not picky about it. And I mean, they're picky in the sense of quality, but they're not, you know, I, oh, I don't eat this or that. And in fact, they eat crazy things here, but, <laughs> <laughs> but they're good. I've learned to like, you know, tripe and. Have you really? That was, like that. I could never good. get my mind around tripe. But, but I, it occurred to me, they must learn as children. And so that, and that is very much true. So that's true of so many things. You know, yeah. you learn, you start learning little bits, little bits as a child. And so you have to give, we have to give our kids a bit of, credit and a bit of leeway and a bit of a chance to try things a few times and and build up their own tastes instead of saying oh we I just want her or him to eat and so mm-hmm. I'll give them something they like which is whatever french fries or yeah fish food or fish sticks or whatever yeah and, and instead of you know saying no no let's actually you know keep trying and keep eating in a way that's good for all of us yeah. and also I think it's best not to make separate meals for children, but allow the kids to eat the same food that the adults eat. Yeah. Yeah. And we've learned that, especially once Max, once I got my, my, uh, uh, I don't know what to call it. My, it wasn't a meltdown. Once, once Max's pediatrician gave me what for, (laughs) we worked really hard. We joined a CSA when I got pregnant with our second son, which was the following like winter after Max turned three, I started to, um, have these dreams about like eating salads and vegetables and I'd have these dreams of just like wow what delicious food and so we joined the CSA and it's completely changed the way that we eat and it's been wonderful I wanted to read a part uh I wanted to read a passage it's really about this idea of uh what we teach our kids as they're when they're babies like what are their first kind of foods and yes. it's just I, I read this book three years ago and I almost remembered this word for word <laughs> so um, I, but I'll read a little bit more than just what I remember word for word when Rocco's mother took the lid off the container of his lunch the room filled with a heady smell of savory vegetable and herb soup 
Rocco's arms waved happily. He was probably, what, five, six months old, right, at this point? Yes, he was just starting to yeah, eat. Yeah. Food, yeah. And his mouth opened, ready before his mother had tied his bib on. All the Italian babies ate these aromatic lunches based on a traditional recipe and all responded with great enthusiasm. One mother told me she thought our message was our method was strange, that it was as though we were teaching our babies not to like food. She thought it was more important that they eat something tasty. For them, it wasn't explicitly about health. It was all about taste and pleasure. And I just... It just made me think about how we do this here. Like we this idea that you got to try them on one food at a time. And once you know that they're not going to uh, be allergic to that food, then you bring you give them another food. And um, and what was it like for you raised in this culture and then and then seeing what they do in that culture? Well, I know that one food at a time is it has, you know, a scientific basis. There's some logic to it. But I even talked about it with my pediatrician who said, just try it the Italian way. Try making this lovely vegetable broth. And, you know, if she said, chances are there won't be a problem. And she was right. There was no problem. Mm -hmm. And so I just made the broth and he ate that. And then we would, as he got a bit older, we would add things to it, like little pieces of pasta. And we mm -hmm. would use the broth as the base, as the liquid to puree other foods as well. Mm -hmm potatoes or other vegetables and things like that. Or if we were putting our dinner through the blender for him, we would use that to liquefy it a bit. And it was, yeah, I thought it was, this was Italian genius, you know, it's up there with Michelangelo <laughs> and the Sistine Chapel practice, well, maybe exaggerate a little, but I thought that was so clever because it's a very tasty broth and it has all the tastes of the food that they will come to know and love. Yeah. And scented in a way that, that they will like, most yeah. likely. I'm yeah. sure that those kids would like it. Yeah. It's, it's quite it's, easy to like. And it's very nutritious as well. So I felt good about giving it to him. And we were fortunate that he didn't have any allergic reactions. But, you know, they have fewer problems with allergies in Italy generally. I mean, they're, they're coming. And, yeah. you know, who knows exactly why. But it does seem to mirror the rise of, of processed and industrial foods. That's and really change their food culture, at least, anyway. And so, you know, for the most part, though, we still don't have to worry about it in quite the same way. And we were lucky. The only thing, he had a lactose intolerance for a while, but he grew out of it. Mm -hmm. so that was really easy to identify. <laughs> that our, wasn't hard at all. Our oldest had an egg allergy, and we found out we kept all eggs from him until he was one. And we found out about it because he broke out in hives on his first birthday yeah. when we fed him birthday cake. <laughs> yes, yes. And there are even lots of theories about how to help them to, to get over it. Mm -hmm. But... But anyway, with ours, it was mainly just time, avoidance and time and then introduction in a little bit. But yeah, that's exactly what we did. You know, he could eat everything. He just had to, when it came to eating gelato, he had to have the fruit flavors that don't have milk in it. But that yeah. was fine. What do you mean when you say that it's coming? This is, I'm so curious about that. Um, that what do you mean? You, the, then when you say that food allergies are coming to Italy. Oh, I see that they're increasing. That's what I should really yeah. say. Well, I, I loved the phraseology of it. I just thought, wow, like you're, there's a noticeable, since you've been there, There's has there been a noticeable uptick in like in food allergies? Well, I, I haven't noticed. I haven't looked at the statistics. It's only more that I've noticed more food allergies among the kids at my son's school. Wow. Like see, peanut allergies, that kind of thing? Well, no peanut allergies. We're really lucky about that. Oh, good. And when he went to the Italian school, it was quite free. You know, you could send food in if you wanted to. You could make birthday cakes, send them in, do things like mm -hmm. that. And he's now going to a, a British school, an international school. 
And so there you can't actually send food in because children there. Oh, there is my son. Hello. (laughs) So the kids, um, they do suffer more allergies. Yeah, yeah. And so they, you know, they, uh, they have to be a bit more careful. So I thought this is sort of interesting. We're still within Italy, but we're seeing a group that's come from other places and certainly the allergies are a much bigger deal yeah national schools wow that's i i mean that's one i i knew that in italy um there's a huge it sounds like anyway there's a huge incidence of um uh the it's it affects the intestines and it's it's um it's got to do with gluten um what is the name of that oh the uh celiacs celiacs yes yeah i i i interviewed a woman um named Anna Vicino who is a voiceover artist actually and but she's also she's she's writing a cookbook and she's just doing all these really interesting things based on the fact that like she's got celiacs she's Italian she wants to eat <laughs> really well and and you know love her That's food <laughs> yeah and uh and so we got to talking about how how many people in the Italian culture have celiacs and it was mind-blowing to me Oh, really? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. But it's funny, I don't really know any, but yeah, that's just, uh, you know, that's only who I know. It yeah, doesn't. yeah. Well, I mean. Really, you have to actually look at the, the breakdown. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, there's just this idea that I was really struck by um, the idea that we might be teaching our kids not to like food. I, I just, that, that, that blew me away. That's the phrase that I've remembered for so long. And it's made oh. me... Yes, and I think that's true. That is, in a sense, we're teaching them to be picky, definitely. Yeah, exactly, exactly. About food and, you know, only have this and then only that. And and then also giving them a spoonful and staring at them. You know, yeah, yeah. Just, like, what do you think? <gasps> Are you going to die? Yes. Um, and and it, what we've noticed with our boys is because we've made a conscious choice to feed them what we're eating, you know. And now, I mean, this has been going on for years and years, but um, we do it. And we now we notice that they're much more likely to try new things. They're much more open to uh, just new food experiences than than a lot. Like we've gotten compliments on them. They'll people will say, "Wow, your your kids eating what we're eating," <laughs> when yes. the kids around them are eating mac and cheese or chicken nuggets or whatever. And um, and I know how that happened. Like I, you know, with a lot of people who are really close to me, I, I watched the progression of that and uh, and. I know the challenges those families have had with trying to get their kids to eat other stuff. And I, I don't, I don't mean to sort of cast aspersions on that. I just, I feel really That's fortunate crazy. that we've, we were able to, you know, kind of pull that out. And and our kids are still quite, especially my older one is, is quite picky, but he'll eat sushi where I will not eat sushi. I mean, <laughs> it's not, it's not easy to do. And I would never judge anyone about how they feed their kids yeah. because it is really, it's difficult. Yeah. It's, easy thing to do um but i just found it interesting that when you're in a culture where people tend to eat the same way kids tend to be a little bit less picky just yeah. because they see it all around them and they can mirror these good habits you know whether it's at their friend's house their own house or at school it's you know a community rather than just the family that yeah. has responsibility for it yeah but i don't hear that we can go to restaurants and they for the most part they don't have children's menus which is good mm-hmm. they just you know, if you've got a small child, they'll just give you a half portion or a smaller portion. And that's great. And then the kids can taste everything. They can try what you're having. And also, you know yeah. how Italian food is served if you get the antipasto and they keep bringing little plates of this and that. Yeah. God, it's so good. Kids. They can try a bit of this, a bit of that. Yeah. It really yeah. helps them to 
you know, try new things in a very safe way, in a fun way, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another part of the book that really struck me um, was you talk about going to a beach at Ostia with, do you guys still go there? Do you still go to the... We haven't gone in a long time. In fact, I was thinking about that. And I thought we should yeah. go. It's winter. So, it's winter. Yes. I love going in winter. Yeah. At 11, he may not have the same like love of digging, you know. Yeah, so we have to <laughs> see. We'll a shovel. So yeah. Yeah. Be. But you talk about going like it's a family outing. So you would go to the beach and, and Nico could dig around and you guys would have a lunch where, you know, in a, in a restaurant where everyone's treated the same in the sense of it's not doesn't have a children's menu. Nico's eating what you're eating. Everybody's happy, you know, and then you kind of come home and everybody feels like it's been a really great day. It's been a nourishing day in a lot of ways. And, and then you go, you have this experience of going to a water park, (laughs) which is a place for kids. Yes. Uh, Yeah. And so then suddenly there's all this food for kids, which is hot dogs, hamburgers, French fries, and horrible pizza. And I thought we're in Italy. How can they even do this? And soft drinks and all of these things, because these are the foods that are marketed to children. And I thought, what a shame. You know, and here at the beach, you just have fish and salad and nice, you know, chickpea salads. Yeah, and- yeah. Stuff that's that's nourishing and, and tasty and local. It doesn't, you know, it yeah. doesn't cost a lot to process or make or whatever. It's it's what's already here. And um, and it made me, it actually made me think of skiing. So growing up, um, we, my, you know, my dad had always had a goal of becoming a ski instructor. And he'd been skiing since he was oh, I think a teenager. And he and my mom's first date was skiing. There was no way that we were not going to be a skiing family, basically. And we used to, when we would go, we would always bring uh, oatmeal cookies, I remember, and egg salad, which I didn't love at the time, but I put up with it. And and uh, I don't remember if we brought hot chocolate, but we always, you know, we had a really nice lunch that we would bring with us. And, and the culture around us, everybody did that. You'd see coolers yeah. under tables or on top of lockers or whatever. And and I noticed as an adult, um, what's ha- I, I sort of stopped skiing for between having kids and having a tendon disorder. I, I stopped skiing for probably a decade or so. And what I found when I returned is that now there's this culture of like, oh, my gosh, you know, somebody could steal your cooler. You can't just bring a cooler. Oh, yes. And it's like, what? So we still do. We st- I, you know, we ski. We're very fortunate. We homeschool, which means that Fridays in winter can be all about skiing. Um, That's great. And we, we do that. It's almost like a phys ed kind of thing. So we, we see a lot of homeschoolers there. I mean, we, have, we have, just have a ball. And I think as a group, because because homeschoolers are used to being at home. We eat lunch at home every day. You know, we don't have the same kind of, uh, okay, here's the cafeteria. Let's go get some food kind of a thing. There are, you do see a lot more coolers and that kind of thing. But, um, but what I've noticed is that the kids don't want that. The kids don't want what we've brought from home. They want, you know, they want lunch from the warming trays over in the cafeteria. Yes, of course. And yeah. it's it's like it's become just like I feel I feel like with the water park in your experience with the water park, it, it's not the cool stuff is not what you bring from home. Yes. You know, and it's uh, I'd rather have my sandwich and my oatmeal cookies any day, but the kids yes. the kids aren't growing up like that and it just makes me wonder like what what will happen? You get into this idea of if kids are raised to think of warming trays and and processed food as the norm they 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 don't know anymore they will they might lose this idea of okay you know there's something else there's another option do you do you feel like that oh yes i do feel like that i think 
as kids, I mean, you know, maybe in their teenage years, they might experiment. You know, if they're raised, um, you know, with good food, and you can go out to a restaurant get good food, you can get good food around you. That's great. And then in their teenage years, they might really want to experiment a bit with the junk food mm-hmm. and try things. But then I think they'll come back as adults yeah. to, you know, eating good quality, very tasty food that just happens to be healthy. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think, but I think the other stuff is a bit of an allure, and because there are so many of us, I do it too, saying, no, no, we mustn't eat that and demonizing it a little mm-hmm. bit. It makes it kind of appealing as yeah, well. Yeah, so, it does. So we have to, you know, expect that they will yeah. want to rebel and try it too. But yeah. I do think if you give a kid a really good foundation and teach them to like good food, that they will they will like it I'll and they will to return it. to it as adults. That's You've a, done them a huge favor. I think. Yeah, that's a great point. That is a great point to, to kind of hang on to that and remember it. Yes. You know. Because you know, even now I found um, it became kind of a joke between Nicholas and I that he had never been to a McDonald's because they're not so prevalent here. And He was going to a, a Waldorf Steiner school for a while and so the kids generally didn't go to McDonald's. A few did, but they didn't talk about it. Uh-huh. It wasn't a big deal. But there was one, we moved house and there was one not very far from, from us. Mm-hmm. And so he was curious about it. So you know, we decided, I said, okay, we can go. You can try the French fries or whatever. So he got them and satisfied his curiosity, but mm-hmm. I don't know. He didn't seem that, you know, that was it. He was curious. I think that was really all yeah, yeah. to see what it, what's the fuss and, you know, but he didn't really ask again. So yeah, it's like a, it's one of a range of options now. It's not, yes. you know how you want to eat every day maybe and actually we've we've kind of lucked out in the in the like fast food mcdonald's type department because my oldest got really sick one night like violently ill and it's just we think it was a flu or something but he happened to have had mcdonald's the night before (laughs) so he connected the two he was like i'm never eating at mcdonald's again and we have we actually have gone you know occasionally like we don't we don't love it but sometimes it's the only choice or what we actually we've developed an affinity for five guys which um I mean, every six months, maybe we'll go to Five Guys, which is a burger place. Yes, yes. And no, I love hamburgers. Actually, we all do. Yeah, too. yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with them if they're, you know, made with good quality food. Absolutely. Or good quality ingredients. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One, of my mo- one of my most sort of full of pride moments was a year or two ago, we, um, we fired up the barbecue and we made hamburgers for the first time in the whole season. You know, we generally don't use the grill like in the middle of winter and whatnot. And we're sitting down to dinner and it's this, you know, just mouthwatering burgers and, and they're homemade. I mean, like, you know, we, we sort of spice them up and cook them ourselves and all that sort of thing. And Max sits down and he's putting, you know, his condiments on his burger and he says, ah, the first burger of the year. This is just a great moment. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I was like, yes, we're doing something right. Too. It's true. Exactly, exactly. You know, felt like we're doing something right. We got this. Yes. This is good. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. So do you, I guess I have, uh, you know, I, we're kind of wrapping up. We're running a little bit short on time. And I'm wondering, in the years that the, since the publication of The Lost Art of Feeding Kids, and maybe this is not a, or the right question, but uh, or if it's fair to frame it in, the, in these terms, but who's winning? Is it the food companies in Italy or is it the, the kind of beloved food culture? I think it's the food culture. I think it is. You oh, still, good. Of course, the, the food companies are still here, but I think other the places where you can get traditional food are coming back. And so the, some of the trattorias and osterias, they had kind of sunk a little bit in quality. 
but there's more pressure on them now to use better quality food. Yeah. You know, a lot of people used to think, well, I want a cheap meal. I want it to be cheap. And people don't are, are actually not thinking that way so much. But also there's not a gr as great uh, a cost difference between, uh, you know, the industrial food and the good food here as there is in America. So it's a little bit easier to do yeah, this. Yeah, that's true. Do you but still go to that market, that wonderful market? Actually, the funny thing is we moved yeah. house and the market moved house to be right next door to us. So, oh, that's so, <laughs> so wonderful. We did, in fact, it followed us or we followed in, I think. Yay. But I, I think it's interesting because there's a new kind of foodie culture happening here. And some of it can be a little bit tiresome, of course. But I also think it's interesting because it's modernizing Italian food, but in a good way, in with a real focus on quality and on regional recipes and ingredients and on you know trying new things a little bit a yeah. little twist on things so if anything I think it's revitalized and you can you know so now that you have many more options if you ever needed them but you have many more options for going out for great food in restaurants and lots of markets these great little little farmers markets and also mm -hmm. that you can get the box delivery there's a man <laughs> there's a company called Zole here and you can order all these great organic foods and have it delivered, you know, a box, like a CSA box. Yeah, yeah. But it's delivered once a week by a man on a bicycle. It's like a big flat bed he has on the front of the bicycle and he rides it around. He's very fit, I have to say. Oh, I bet. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> but it's fantastic. So that's really easy to get. It's not very costly. So the options for getting good food are getting easier, I would say. The, the supermarkets are not any better than they were, really. You know, they might have one or two more local products under pressure, mm -hmm. but for the most part, they're still selling just foods made by big companies in packages. When I think about going to the market, now this was, this is like 20 years ago or something, but I can remember that it was very, we did not love the markets, like the supermarket. Um, yeah. And, and I can remember we wanted to, my roommates and I sort of wanted to spend as little time in those places as possible, but we would always, we, we were about a half hour's walk from our school which was right near the Duomo in the middle of Florence and we lived in this awesome little neighborhood like we just they the school like that I went with uh, SUNY Staten Island I think it was and I went to UConn I went to the University of Connecticut but the way for me to get there at the same time as the boy that I was following meant that I had to find a different school to go through so they placed us all over the city and it was awesome because you were living in a neighborhood with with you know, actual Italians, you weren't sort of, uh, you know, in a in a dorm or something like that. And it, it did mean that we had to figure out how are we going to eat? And where are we going to go? And um, I can remember that between, like home and school, we would stop for there was a there was a market that was like half foods, which was delicious and wonderful and half other things like jewelry and I don't know, secondhand yes. clothes and it was such a great place, and I, I, I hope, I like to hope that those kinds of places are thriving in Italy, and it sounds like maybe they are. Well, some of them are. There are, there are all these little neighborhood markets, and some of them are dwindling. It just depends on the neighborhood. We have a little one in, in this neighborhood, and it's quite small, but mm -hmm. it, I, we've lived here a year and a half, and it hasn't gotten smaller, so I think that's a good, good. thing. That's a good sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, there are always farmers who come, and they'll uh, bring their own produce which is nice although they're getting older and I think my husband was telling me the average age for a farmer in Italy is 60 that's oh that's, wow that's really a that is a concern that's I think, true that young people are not taking up farming because 
you know, it's hard work and you don't get paid very much for your work. And that, that actually brings to mind another question, which is, is, do Italians often do what they did 20 years ago, which is to say, kind of stay at home until they marry? And, yes. or, you know, and sort of stay in the same neighborhood business, that kind of uh, thing? Do so, they... um, yes and no. Uh, the, of course, the financial crisis hit here as well in yeah. 2008. And so a lot of young people uh, who could left the country. So wow. a lot, a lot of them went to England, and places like that. Then others who um, stayed, many of them have also continued to stay with their parents. Yeah. Yes, it is one of the countries where people tend to live with their parents for a long time. But in terms of taking over family businesses, I don't know. A friend of mine actually went around and interviewed a lot of shopkeepers who have these very traditional businesses, the little corner shop where you could buy the Parmigiano and the the mozzarella di bufala mm, <laughs> and those little things but they're closing or the other thing is they're turning into little mini marts with it which is not good no because their kids don't want to take it over because it's hard work and you never get a holiday and oh uh, yeah not as keen on taking it over yeah yeah that's i mean that's i guess not just a problem here right but it's a problem yes. like that that's a problem everywhere so that's changing you know but as this friend of mine is an, an american woman who grew up in italy and she's very nostalgic about these places. And I understand, like I am, and I didn't grow up here. I'm nostalgic about them too. But as <laughs> yeah. she said, you know, well, she said these things, you think about it, these places weren't here 100 years ago and things change. So yeah, there'll be other things and they will be good too. Yeah, that's a good way to think of it. You have to be positive. Things have to change. They can't stay the same. Yeah. But, but, you know, you hope there can be some continuity, at least for the good things, because there's so many good things here. Yeah, yeah. So, a lot of problems there's a lot of you know financial problems at the moment and other issues but they really have such good food (laughs) (laughs) and that's 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 such a good thing (laughs) yeah it's the base of everything you know to have to have still have that kind of culture and quality of life i've seen people i i talked to this wonderful young man who we actually share the same hairdresser he was getting his hair cut and i was early for my appointment and he had come, he had been living in Boston for mm-hmm. almost a year. He'd gone to school there. And he'd come back to Rome, home. And the hairdresser was joking. And he said, did mama have a la- lasagna ready for you? And he said, well, in fact, she did, yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he said, you know, he said he liked Boston. It's really good. In many ways, it is what he had hoped. But he, he was shocked by how much he missed Rome. And he said it was... All the things that have been driving him crazy, they kind of suddenly didn't matter anymore. There was, you know, it's his home, of course. But he said the the things that he really missed was the quality of the light, which is very true in Rome. It's beautiful light. Yeah. Soft golden light. Mm -hmm. And the food. And he said in the food in a way that he didn't expect. The food in the sense that it is so easy to get good food. Yeah. and quite, it's you don't have to work as hard to get good food here as you as he had felt he had to in Boston. Wow, that's a really he, good point. Many more options just to get very simple things, just good bread and a, a hunk of good cheese and yeah. vegetables, and you can make your lunch out of that. You know, just the simplicity and the the high quality and the reasonable price. He yeah. felt that was those were things that he missed a lot. Yeah, yeah, and it it does it contributes to this idea that like if you care about good food, you're you you know you have to you have to be making a six-figure salary kind of a thing. Yes, yes. Uh, when so many people who really have created the best recipes and best ways of eating have been, you know, uh, farmers, peasants, people, yeah. you know, just who don't have much money but who do, you know, live close to the land. And, yeah, 
Yeah, we actually we were able to save money when we first started on this path of trying to eat, you know, less about processed food and more about uh, local and organic and stuff because we would start to grow things. I I became a person who could bake really good bread and yeah and now my yes. kids can too that's the great thing is we can pass well, you realize you become kids. resourceful and it, it that's it makes you feel stronger more powerful yeah yeah is is there any chance of a recipe book coming out as a companion to the lost art of feeding kids well you know the funny thing is a friend of mine actually wrote a recipe book which i think would be a great companion i didn't write oh, it wow. she's a fantastic writer um, her, I forgot the name of her book, but her name is Rachel Roddy. Rachel and, Roddy, R-O-D-D-Y? Yes, and it's coming out in, it's already out in England, and it's coming out in the United States in February, I think. Oh, wonderful. And if you look it up, you'll see it. It's beautiful. And in fact, on her, the British cover, it had my apricots from my tree. On oh, her, wonderful. On the, on the American cover, it's different. But she has nice little stories. She has a little boy. He's just four now. Yeah. And she cooks exactly the kind of food that I I have come to love here. And she tells you exactly how to do it and gives you brilliant recipes. Oh, and wonderful. it's just one of those books that I, you know, I know how to make a lot of these things. But when I got my copy, I just started getting out the pots and just, I'll do it Rachel's way. <laughs> well, I'm. Do something slightly different and it would just be wonderful. Yeah, so I'm. I'm going to link to it. it. But, you know, she did. She, she saved me the trouble. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to link to it because. This will, we're recording in January, but this will probably be out in March. My, my, my calendar has taken me out that far. I can't believe it. Uh, and I, I think that what, so by February, if, if, if Rebecca's book comes out in February, then people yeah, will be Rachel, able to, Rachel, uh, Rachel, sorry. No, I, you know, what's funny. I wrote it down, but I wrote Rebecca. <laughs> so I'm really glad that I, I confirmed that Rachel's book comes out in February, then we should be able to link to it. I might, by the time this comes out, I might've already been making stuff out of it. <laughs> yes. Well, if you get a copy, there's no doubt you will. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, our time is short. Uh, I do have one last question. Yes. Which is, what advice do you have for parents of young children regarding how to feed their kids? It's a broad, it's a really broad question. I know. Sometimes people ask me that question and I look at them and say, I don't know. <laughs> but to be honest, I think uh, not to worry about it too much. Oh, I love that. I, I think worrying just, you know, we transmit that to the kids. And really what kids need to learn is to love food and to enjoy it. So, you know, make dinner time as you know not as not stressful I know that's hard especially if you're pressed for time mm -hmm. and simple and the thing I like about so much Italian food is how simple it is so a lot of things can be thrown together in half an hour yeah yeah that's great and yeah. you know just good quality ingredients that's fine and when everyone sits and eats it not maybe you know when you're starting out not everyone is going to like it but slowly it becomes the food of your family and so you know, the kids love their family. Gradually, they will come to love what the family eats. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So I think they're, they're children, and they don't know what they like. We have to help them to yeah. discover what they like. Yeah, that is a and great answer. That's a they, great answer. They'll do it. Yeah. They'll do it themselves with our help. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we're almost a guide. We're guides for them. Yes. So, well, Jeannie Marshall, this time has gone way too quickly. <laughs> I, I Actually, I'd love to have you on again if... If, uh, you know, if, if chance, you know, if it comes up that you could, we could talk again at some point. Yes. Uh, no, it was very nice to chat. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Okay. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Listeners, you can collect, you can connect, blah, 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 with Jeannie at JeannieMarshall20 at gmail.com. 
And that's Marshall with two L's, which is how Jeannie spells her name. If you would like to contact her on Twitter, it's Jeannie M. Marshall. But Marshall is only has only one L on Twitter because that's that's all Twitter would allow. So Jeannie M. Marshall. And to connect with me, you can go to weturnedoutok.com. It's come to my attention that something's up with our contact page. So first of all, if you've tried to contact me through the contact page and you haven't been able to, I'm super sorry. If you try to get in touch with me and I haven't responded... Uh, please email me. It's Karen at WeTurnedOutOK.com. Or you can find me on Instagram, which is at WeTurnedOutOK. Or you can find me on Twitter, which is at Stone Age Techie. Uh, you can grab my free gift for you, the nine and a half key resources for old school parents at WeTurnedOutOK.com. And if you like the show, you can subscribe to it. You can rate it. You can review it in both iTunes and Stitcher. This makes such a huge difference in helping other parents find the show. And if you loved Jeannie's book, <clears throat> pardon me. If you loved The Lost Art of Feeding Kids, please rate it and review it over at Amazon, as I did, because I loved it. And thank you so much for listening. I'm so grateful to you that you have Jeannie and me in your ears right now. And a special thanks to our producer, the man who makes some pretty fantastic real food, 18-time winner of the Husband of the Year, Benjamin Culp. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. for listening to We Turned Out Okay. I want to date to Australia. Find us on the web at weturnedoutok.com where you'll find show notes and more. What do you call cheese that's not yours? Nacho cheese. And remember, we only go around once. To be the best parents we can be, let's relax and enjoy the ride. I want to pee in the woods. Derp, 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 derp,